It's bad ink, Jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 159. If you smoke like I smoke, then you'll be high every day. It is 4 minutes to 12 on Friday the 17th of July 2020, coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. We not only... Recall the PGA, but now the European Tour has restarted post-lockdown. So we have a look at the first event and some success in that. Um, uh, a recap of the first two and a half weeks of football coupon bets. Manchester United, by the way, have stung me twice in 72 hours, but we're still doing okay. We're still turning a profit, so I'm not going to moan too much about that. After the break... Genting Casino announces closures and job losses in the UK. But are they really related to COVID-19 or are there other things going on? And we have a look at what is coming up after the end of a very strange season and the sport that is available to us in the month of August. All of that and more coming up this afternoon on the Bashcast. Let's start with the golf this week. We've had three tournaments since the last Bashcast. Um, lies, we've had four tournaments in three weeks since the last Bashcast. So it was the Travellers, which is a full bust, um, which will happen. I was only betting 9% of the field in that tournament. So um, nobody placed... Um, with um, the bets that I put up on site, which are slightly different but kind of similar to the ones I have for myself because uh, I'm more focused on shops where I can get a bit larger stakes down. Um, uh, I sort of recommend a £1,000 bankroll. That would have been minus £112 in that tournament. Made up for it the following week in the Rocket Mortgage Classic uh, for with three places... Out of 10 selections, which isn't too bad. Um, that was Tyrell Hatton, who was one of the favourites in the tournament. Adam Hadwin, who was up there from the start at 66 to 1. But how didn't Matthew Wolf win it? He was three shots ahead at the end of day three, the Wolf Man. He was eating up birdies, he was chewing eagles all through rounds two and three. Um, I was very confident he was about even money, which felt long, to tell you the truth. 
as coming into day four. And then he double bogeys the first and bogeys the second, and DeChambeau goes birdie par to actually take the lead after two holes. And then DeChambeau got a three-shot lead and never looked back, so he won the tournament, which is a shame because I was really all in on Matthew Wolf, 125 to one, um, and I was all out on DeChambeau. Um, with the three places still turned a profit and made that sort of two-week period of the travellers and the rocket mortgage slightly up. But um, I don't know. It felt like a loss after Matthew... It just felt like Matthew Wolf was going to was gonna walk away with that tournament. But DeChambeau's just insane. He's driving it... Well, today, I've got in the background the Memorial 2020. He's just driven it... 423 yards which is he's driving it now so much further than anyone else he just seems to have spent lockdown putting on muscle and learning how to drive accurately skybet did a boost actually on round two of the rocket mortgage classic um when he had averaged 370 yards driving 358 yards driving on round one, with his longest drive being 377 yards. And they put up a boost for him to drive at 380 yards plus on round two at five to one, which felt um, quite long. Um, There was some small print about the fact that he had to drive at 380 yards on the fairway, which is standard for these long drives. He did drive at 386 yards, but he drove it into the rough because he's out driving all of the fairways just now. Um, So that one was like working out his average drive and then working out based on his average drive, the chances of him driving 380 yards plus, and then applying that in an or calculation over all the drivable holes, of which there were 13 in the Rocket Mortgage charity. So it was close but no cigar in that tournament. And then we came to, yeah, the, the first of sort of two weeks at the Muirfield Golf Club. And... When we were looking at this, we tried to put together these graphs um, before the tracker goes up. Kind of like, because there's, you know, you can have 50 plus EV golfers on the tracker. A way to whittle it down could be just to take the best EV or could to be could be to isolate any plus EV at the top of the field. But I'm trying to apply something a little bit more scientific. So we've been looking at one or two, one, well, we've been looking at one attribute statistic from the PGA Tour website, per week. Now we're moving into doing um, multiple um, attributes. Um, So to select the attributes, we started off looking historically, you know, who won last year and what were they leading in. But to bring in a little bit more science into this, um, Fantasy Labs, which is an American um, statistic, American Sports Statistic Service is quite useful. They mainly focus on people who want to do fantasy sports. But in all honesty, the fantasy sports market in America is larger than the betting market in the UK. And what you can do is you can go on to Fantasy Labs and they've got a golf section there. And they've got a correlations section under golf. And you can... This is just basically a massive database. And you can filter by a number of golfers. So, you know, if it's the, for example, Memorial Tournament, you could select everybody in the field or the top 10 or the top 50 or whatever it is that you wanted to look at. And then they've got 150 different courses around the world and um, 126 different tournaments. So you can specifically filter by the course and it will tell you how the different trends the different attributes um relate to that course they have a a score of plus or minus which essentially says if you look at greens in regulation over the long term specifically on these golfers on this course that you've selected, 
then that will have a certain amount of predictive power and will have performed quite well historically. Whereas if you look at something else such as recent driving accuracy, that doesn't seem to predict that well for these golfers on that course. And by doing this, we can sort of rank all the different trending attributes that we've got, which is, you know, driving distance, driving accuracy, greens and regulation, scrambling, missed cuts, uh, long-term eagles, long-term birdies, um, adjusted round scores, and all these different attributes we can have a look at. And the data for all of these is freely available on the PGATour.com. So looking at the Muirfield Golf Course, well, we couldn't look, the Workday Charity was like a one-off event, but the Memorial Tournament that's on just now, which is on exactly the same course, was on last year. So looking at the golfers in the field, um, we ranked the attributes. Um, we could see that the top four more, most important were missed cuts, so long-term missed cuts, who's making consecutive cuts, etc. Um, scrambling and recent driving accuracy. So what we did is we took those three and just plotted them on a graph. We sort of made a score, like to to put those attributes together, no, <clears throat> normalize the data. We weighted them equally. There's the option if you wanted to, to get a little bit more scientific and weight one more than the other. But for now, we're weighting them equally. And then plotting them on a graph with on the x-axis with the odds on the y-axis. Why are the odds there? Because if two people have the same score, then obviously the guy with the higher odds is more appealing. And what that's done it, um, for... Let's bring up the graph. I've got the graph up for the current tournament, which is the which is the Memorial Tournament. But looking last week at the Workday Charity, um, we plotted greens and regulation, scrambling and par four birdies um, for that one. And it highlighted the guys with the biggest scores were um, Justin Thomas with the highest. He finished um, He finished in second place, lost in a playoff to Colin Morikara. So we actually scored him the highest out of the entire field. Um, and he tied for the lead after 72 holes. Patrick Cantley was our, our number two, and he finished in seven, so top ten finish for him. Xander Schaufuli, um and he was a top 14. So the top three there were all in the top 20. Um, then we had Patrick Reed, who I can't see, so it looks like he was probably quite far down. Pat Patrick, yeah, he was down in the 39th. Um, Gary Woodland, who finished in fifth position. So there's a fourth fourth player identified out of the you know we, we identified 10 pre-tournament of the of the bigger prices cameron percy uh, oh he withdrew actually of the tournaments tom hogue cameron trangali brant snedeker snedeker were all about uh 600 to one or above on the exchange none of them made the cut but um of the favorites yeah uh, there was certainly something there's something in that. And so when I'm putting together the um, recommendations now each week, I'm sort of doing a mixture of taking the highest EV and throwing in a few players um, that are highlighted on this graph as long as they're plus EV. There's nothing we can do if they're negative EV, you know. Um, there's no point in taking someone that appears well on this graph if the bookmakers are only offering two to one. It's not value. Um, so... Uh, the Workday Charity last week, only um, one place, which is a minor loss in that, did have the European Tour come around. Now, my feeling, my gut instinct on the European Tour was that I hadn't done this multi-attribute ranking of any players. It was the first European Tour event um, after lockdown. There's not a lot of data around. I mean, to be fair... The European Tour website is really bad in terms of data compared to the PGA. PGA, you got an up-to-date list of all of the players, um, lots of statistics, that fantastic tour cast thing where you follow the ball around. Now, I know the European Tour hasn't got as, anywhere near as much money as the PGA, but you can't even get an up-to-date list of the entrance in a golf tournament on the European Tour. And you have this tilting thing where they only update the scores every three holes. 
which is incredibly frustrating when you're on um, Mr. Mark Warren, um, the Scotsman, who was leading halfway around round two, but was never very far in the lead. It was only either tied for the lead or one shot in the lead. And after the second round and the third round, he was up there. And then on the fourth round, you know, I'd only tipped three golfers and I tipped them at 125 to one, 300 to one and 125 to one. So I'd only looked at 1.9% of the tournament in this tournament, um, again, because of the confidence thing. Um, and all three of them made the cut, but Warren was right up there and I wanted to follow him on the Sunday. But the most frustrating thing, having to wait three holes at a time for like a massive update to go through the European Tour site. And another reason for betting relatively low on this tournament is um, just that quality of data that is available through the European Tour isn't quite the same as the PGA. Anyway, Warren ships it. Which is quite, which was quite remarkable when only betting one point nine percent of the field, and um, that was a decent payday for me. I had um, twenty pounds each way on him at one hundred and twenty-five to one to kick off, really kick off my sort of year two golf season. Um, looking at the historical results, I sort of um, I put up some results for both the PGA and the European Tour on the site on the Tuesday or the Wednesday before every tournament and then track their profit and loss. Um, in year one, starting with a £1,000 bankroll, we had 89 tournaments. I put up 617 bets. We had 13 winners for £2,617 profit, which compared to the amount staked was about 134% return on investment. In year two, it's very early doors. And um, funny things happen to ROI when you're only betting on the European Tour three bets and you get a winner at 125 to 1. I've had in the table in front of me, it says there's £18 staked, £590 profit. Um, so that's a ROI of £3,377. And uh, sorry, an ROI of 3,377%, which is um, obviously stupid because uh, the sample size is so incredibly low. We were going to have a second week worth of European Tour this week. And I actually, I put together some options, but I put them together at 5.45 in the morning on the Wednesday, not looking at when the first tea time was. And the first tea time was 6am on the Wednesday. And I was literally in the process of uploading them to the site when all of a sudden I realised that it was first tea now and nobody was going to be up at 6 o'clock in the morning looking at that page. It would have been completely unfair to have um, put them up and expected to count them. So um, that's, who starts a golf tournament at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday? I don't know. but So we're missing out on the second week of the European Tour. But I am very satisfied about picking a winner in the very first week after lockdown of the European Tour. Coming back, my man Mark Warren G., He's a regulator. He'll regulate any stealing of his property, and he's damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. You've got to be handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. Any key. Regulator. It was a clear back nine. A clear three wood. Mark Warren G was on the tee. The back swing looks good. Some trees on the left. Covered by some bunks, just rolling on that fade, one shot all in front. Just hit the fairways of the European tee, on a mission tried to catch Mr. Warren G. Seen a cart full of clubs, ain't no need to tweak, all the field know the shots gained on 2-1-3. So he hooked a drive on the 2-1 and Lewis, some brothers shooting bricks, and he said, let's do this. He pitched up to the fringe and said, what's up? Some brothers in the water and they said, I'm stuck. Since these parfos play long, I'll draw a swerve. This rough is looking so hard, it's stuck in the herb. Won't you think of better things? Then some golf ball tricks I see my caddies and the group is all in the mix He's getting jacked 
he's breaking himself. I can't believe he's going to multiply my wealth. I'm buying myself some rings, I'm buying a Rolex. I looked at my brother, he said, damn, what's next? He's got the hole all hemmed up and he's all around. No one knows if the stint meter reading will prove to be sound. He's lined up real quick, bash von Delling shown. He pulls back on the putter and lays the angles down. He's got the slope in his head, I think it's going down. I can't believe this is happening in Vienna town. If I had wings, I could fly, let me contemplate. I glanced at the hole and I screamed, no way, mate. 18 in the bag and one in the hole. Bucky bashes are about to leave the field ice cold. Now the ball's dropping, I'm yelling, it's a tad bit late. Bucky bashes and Mark Warren G had to regulate. I'll tell you nothing, nothing says mid-90s West Coast hip-hop. A little bit like a white 42-year-old man from Worcestershire doing a take on golf. Um, just having a look at the coupons because I haven't talked about them in ages just because I don't talk about them. Doesn't mean I don't do them. I'm not convinced many people do do them, but to tell you the truth, if nobody did them, uh, I would still do them as like... They're like one of the main staples of what I do to keep things churning over and ticking over and things like that. Um, the site kind of started with coupons and we still do them to this day. And I still do them multiple ones every single week. Um, since lockdown, since lockdown restarted, I'm just so basically I'm just summing up here how the variance has been on them. I've done 22 coupons between the 27th of June and the 13th of July. So that's 22 coupons in, what's that, just over two weeks, with an average stake on the coupons of £235. So these are mostly, um, well, they're all trebles. Basically, so I need three in a coupon to win, otherwise it's a full bust. Full bust happens Quite a lot, to tell you the truth, especially on the higher odds coupons. The um, team to win over two goals and the match odds and both teams to score and the win to nil. The pushes in the seventh heaven can be a little bit lower odds on those. So, like everything, um, when lockdown restarted, there were very few goals, there were very few opportunities. Um, results didn't necessarily go anyone's way Um in any area i don't know too many people that made a lot of money in the first couple of weeks i guess unders betters so um on the first 13 coupons that i bet 3055 pounds cumulatively for i only had a profit in three and i was minus 1864 pounds after the 13 and these are a mixture of team to win and over one goal team to win and over two goals match odds and both teams to score the goals galore at fred um team to win to nil and the pushers coupon we haven't seen the seventh heaven coupon i think the seventh heaven relies on there being a mass amount of games in one day like a saturday afternoon which of course we don't have because everything is staggered just now talk about them being staggered by the way the week the season ends a week on sunday and damn am i looking forward to it because it's like non-stop team news right now isn't it it's like 5 p.m there's a championship game 6 p.m premiership 7 p.m over here 8 p.m in um syria and 9 p.m in la liga 9 30 p.m in portugal it's like come on i'm looking forward to a time when it's just like one hour or two hours of team news because again all these drifts happen at team news and that's when all the important events gone so if i got rid of the entire site the thing i would keep is the coupons still um because um these all come from the concept that we are betting on smart money just to recap them um people bet on things on the, the price gets pushed down on the exchange they normally start at about 91 percent when the coupon is written you could argue that anything above 95% has had money move it in a direction, and that must mean something. Uh, it is extremely common to go up to the counter uh, to place a bet and to hear about a cut. Um, I think it puts a few people off hearing about cuts. In, in, in honesty, it's extremely rare not to hear about a cut. If we were a bigger site and we had a lot of people doing a feedback mechanism... 
then we might hear about more cuts. But at the same time, that's a poison chalice because then we have more people betting on exactly the same thing and thus eroding the value. So it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Personally, I'm okay with taking most cuts. Look, if I've got two or three cuts and a coupon and the rest are plus EV, I've generally either got, still got a plus EV coupon, or even if I've got a 98 or 99% coupon, which I generally have quite a lot of the time, I'm still happy that it's been driven up from 91%. I mean, obviously there's a limit. If everything gets cut to 1 to 100, you know that that's a long-term negative equity bet. But um, were I to be in a position where I only wanted to make sure it was always over 100% and I understood every cut and I didn't take it if I was a cut. One of two things would happen. One, I'd be rejecting every bet at the counter and two, I'd be standing out to the shop. So I, I don't have any volume and I look like a very price-sensitive customer. Neither of those things are a good thing. Um, volume is good because we start to iron out all every bet that we're taking that's perhaps a bad bet. I mean, it does seem weird take, essentially taking a price that is underneath the exchange. But um, each one of those is hopefully being compounded by another team that is above the exchange. And over a series of bets, it gets ironed out. And over my first 13 bets, no, no ironing out was happening. <laughs> it was minus £1,864. Then we had a William Hill coupon two or more goals and team to win um so you know it's, uh, basically the team to win but not by one nil and sassuolo 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 god i've never said the word sassuolo before it sounds weird you know that italian team sassuolo <laughs> is that opera singer mate sassuolo i'm going down seeing him tonight Get a glass of shablian um Oh, good grief, it gets even worse for me. Gen Clary Biligi, um, Falkenberg, Zurich, Lusterau, Genoa and Ibar were on that coupon. And um, I think only five of seven won, but we did have a four to one, 12 to five um, and nine to four winners on that coupon. And that's the thing, when, when the big price teams win, you don't need them all to win. Uh, and that returned £3,024 to put me into profit. And then had a couple more losses, but this is this is last weekend that happened. Incidentally, just a couple of days later, so this was the beginning of this week. I'd gone to the pub on Monday night, and I wasn't even um, aware of what teams were on the coupon. And I had a very small interest bet on the exchange of Manchester United to win and both teams to score. It was very thin EV. Uh, it was not a very big bet. Uh, it was just, and I was sitting in the pub just glancing at the score of Man United 2, Southampton 1 um, on Monday night. Uh, and when it finished 2-2 with a 97th minute equaliser, I was oh, I've just lost a little bit of um, a small stakes markets bet there. What I didn't know at that time is um, on the coupon that I hadn't really paid that much attention to was... Inter, who won 3-1, who were 2-1. Man United were 2-1. A couple of losers. So this is a 16-team, £10 trebles bet. So that's 200 quid on the goals galore coupon at Betfred. So we need both team, team to win and both teams to score. Inter did win. Kluge lost. Malmo lost. Over in Turkey, Daniels Spore won at 7-1. And Konya Spore won. At 10 to 1, my day, 7 to 1 and 10 to 1 winners on a trebles coupon. So that double there is 8 times 11, is 88. And any other team that wins is going to be have their odds multiplied by 88. And then if we have four, four teams win, we're going to have four winning trebles. Five teams win, we're going to have 10 winning trebles. All teams win, we're going to have 20 winning trebles. Uh, as it transpired, it was just into Milan that won at 2 to 1. Even so... Um, that coupon returned £2,440 profit. But Manchester United, that 97th minute equaliser, which meant that Manchester United didn't win and both teams to score, ended up costing me just a shade over £5,000 on Monday night, which was extraordinary, really extraordinary. And that puts me to £3,505 in profit in 22 coupons just in the shade under half a month 
since lockdown started, um, which is kind of like it's weird because it's like listen, it's lose, 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 three winning coupons. I'm seriously up, and that's just the way that coupons are. It's like it's like high risk casino. You know, you're waiting for that time when the seven to one and the ten to one come in. The seven to one was actually cut from fourteen to one, and don't think I'd made a mental note of what the fair odds were at the time, but. Sort sort of knew that eight was probably bad. The fair odds would have been between eight and fourteen, which or fifteen, which it originally was. But the rest of the coupon was okay. I think there was only one other small cut, which was probably made at neutral EV. So you made the decision to keep them at seven to one, and that smart money got that right. The fourteen to one, anyone that got that early price, that would have been a fourteen to one and a ten to one winner on that coupon. Um, so Turkey really. Came to the fore, the Turkish Super League. It was Konyaspor 4, Bazikir 3 um, for the 10 to 1 team to win and both teams to score. And the 7 to 1 was 2 1 against Trav Sponsor, um, which was, as I say, cut from 14 to 1, but took the 7 to 1 on the coupon. Glad I did. The full coupon would have returned £27,000, but of course, Manchester United just cannot play ball, can they? And then a stupid coupon. This is like a third one that didn't return that much, but this is. Um, Again, team to win and two or more goals, so not 1-0. Seven teams on here. Seven pound um, trebles, so that's 35. Seven pound trebles is 245 pounds. Um, the first five win, so Famalicao, Middlesbrough, Lausana, Frederica and Vibogo win. So I'm, all, I'm 800 pounds in profit at this point. Uh, Chelsea are three to 10 to win and two or more goals. And Brentford are five to six to win and two more goals. And a clean sweep will return just a shade under three grand. You know, I'm surely I'm going to get one of those two teams to win and over two goals for two grand. But no, Chelsea won one nil and Brentford won one nil. Which I was just a little bit like, that's, I mean, I know I've won a bit of money. And of course, you could say easily one of the other five teams didn't have to win and or wouldn't have won 2-0 they would have won 1-0 so luck works both in both ways it's the same as when you're looking at a combination bet and you're like you need over two goals over 10 corners and over three cards and then you're like i, I can't believe i'm always one off well actually there are so many permutations that are always one off than the permutations that win that just win so you're more likely to always be one off but um it would the sequence of events in this coupon where the first five won at big odds at like you know nine to four nine to four and things like that um and then the last two who were 1.83 and 1.3 and i am a one to ten chance of at least one of those two winning decided both to win one nil but um um so that's just a recap of you know the um, the 23 coupons that I've had so far after lockdown. We've got another week and a half of these and then the football season's over for the shortest ever summer break. Okay, guys, that's just about enough for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast and it's brought to you by BuckyBashing.net. One more man gone. One more man gone. One more man. One more man gone. 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 He is gone. The good sun walked into the field He is a tiller He has a tiller's hand But deeper down in his heart now He's a laid down queer plans Against his brother And against his family Yet he worships his brother And he worships his mother But it's his father he says Is an unfair man The good 
star By which the good sun's kept And the night time In which he's wrapped Speaks of good now And it speaks of evil And he calls to his mother And he calls to his father But they are dear In the shadows of his brother's truancy That's The Good Son from the album of the same name, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, released 1990, 30 years old over lockdown, that song. A rare, uplifting song from Nick Cave. Um, In the bookie bashing news, Genting Casino are in the news. They are going to close down at least three casinos in the UK um, with 1,600 jobs at risk. So they've issued an announcement uh, recently, Genting Casino, that they're going to cut up to 1,642 jobs at clubs and hotels across the UK. And they say that it is down... 
to COVID-19. Um, because whilst pubs and restaurants and shops and even bookmakers in England have been allowed to open um, as coronavirus lockdown restrictions have been eased, casinos and indoor gymnasiums and hairdressers and a few other uh, establishments remain among businesses not permitted to do so. Genting is one of the largest casino operators in the UK and told staff at 27 of its venues that it intends to cut costs by shutting down services, including poker games and hospitality. So this is a um, Malaysian firm that owned Genting, and in documents sent to the staff, it blamed the impact of COVID-19 resulting in temporary closure of business and reduced trading hours and changes in the operating model. So it will see permanent closures in Margate, Torquay and Bristol, and other sites will face severe job uh, reductions with some venues proposing to shed more than half of its employees. Uh, As well as the three casinos that are closing, Genting's cuts will affect staff um, at casinos, including in London, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Blackpool and Birmingham. Genting said it had faced heavy losses since the shutdown and was making changes to the way it operated to be ready to reopen. It added, in light of these changes, we are having to make some heartbreaking decisions about the future of the business and it is with huge regret that job losses are simply unavoidable. So whilst 1,642 jobs are at risk, they said we'll be doing everything we can to bring those individuals back into the business at a later stage. That's what every company says when it goes through um, rounds of voluntary redundancy. Um, The job retention scheme, however, is just that, and therefore, when it became clear to us that a significant number of roles could not likely be retained, it was only right to begin the redundancy consultation process rather than continuing to take government money via the furlough scheme. Well, that's nice of them, isn't it? It's nice of genting. There is continued uncertainty in the casino industry about whether it will be able to welcome back gamblers. Whilst other hospitality businesses were permitted to open the doors earlier this month, casinos have still not been told when they can reopen, prompting criticism from leading figures in the industry. Michael Duger, the chief executive of the industry body of the Betting and Gaming Council, did write to the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, urging him to include casinos in plans to lift lockdown restrictions. The UK casino sector was sorely disappointed not to be included in the list of industries allowed to reopen on the 4th of July. Duggar said government support for closed casinos to retain staff was costing the Treasury £5 million a week. Casinos want to get back into business and once again contributing to the economy, not costing the exchequer money. With phased reductions in wage support kicking in soon, there is, however, a real fear that if reopening doesn't happen in July, there will be severe damage caused to the casino industry. So there is Genting blaming COVID-19 for job losses and sort of having a very high moral high ground saying they don't want to cost the UK taxpayer any more money than is absolutely necessary and so are going to start with a round of redundancies which is wonderful of them but is it true i mean you have to question whether this has all been as a result of the covid19 or whether genting were perhaps pushing themselves a little bit far in a market where casino days out and expenditure in casino never seemed to take off in the same way as it did in other countries. So for starters, in terms of reopening, casinos are probably the highest risk demographic in terms of COVID-19. You see, I think it's a crying shame that places like my sister's CrossFit gyms are not allowed to reopen, where they are predominantly young, healthy people. It's not that it's not that old, unhealthy people can't attend a CrossFit gym. It's just that the average demographic is young and is healthy. Um, a lot more women than men do CrossFit. 
a lot more younger people than older people and a lot more fitter people than unfit people. And so all in all, that's the three demographics of people that are not at, at high risk of illness from COVID-19. Older, unhealthy men seem to be the demographic of people that are at high risk of COVID-19. And that certainly is the demographic that you tend to find in UK casinos. Older, not particularly healthy men. You walk into a casino in the UK, you're likely going to immediately be braced by a wall of predominantly men, predominantly older, although the older Chinese lady certainly enjoys a trip to the t casino, um, and predominantly smoking or obese or overweight or some sort of not particularly healthy lifestyle, which comes with people that enjoy the trip to the casino. So it does seem that reopening certain businesses later, if you want to manage the spread of this disease and the risk that it causes, because it's probably right. Everyone's sitting next to each other, sharing chips on in a casino. Um, in America, they've started reopening casinos and some of the lengths that they're going to at the poker tables, I mean... They, they did have poker tables where there are screens next to every chair. So whilst there's eight of you around a poker table, there's a screen protecting you from the person that's next to you, which, I, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look particularly friendly. I'm not going to get into the merits of whether this is warranted or not. But I am going to get into the merits of whether this is really down to COVID-19 or not. Genting's, de Genting's decision. If you walk into a casino in the UK, the hustle and bustle and excitement doesn't seem to be equal to casinos in Las Vegas, in New Jersey, in France, in Spain, in East Asia, in Australia. I've, I've always enjoyed going to casinos. I've always enjoyed going to play blackjack, Sometimes I'll sit there and try and follow the deck and sometimes I'm just literally just sitting there because it's fun and I don't mind playing a negative equity game and having a beer and a bit of a laugh. Never really been a problem. And I started going to casinos when I was 16 or 17 and I remember those days up in Staffordshire where I could go to the casino um, and make a little bit of money and generally be in there all night and come out at seven o'clock in the morning. And I loved the feeling of sort of going home at seven o'clock in the morning with a pocket full of cash whilst everybody was in traffic jams on the way to work, having been up all night. That was a lot of fun. Um, or playing poker in UK casinos has always been a fun part of my life. Probably a lot more before I had kids, so much harder after kids, right? Um, one bit of advice an older poker player once gave me is if you're ever going to succeed in poker, make sure you do it before you have children. And that's just about right. <laughs> but um, I would go to the casinos around the Midlands, sort of going. There was never any high stakes tournaments on in UK casinos outside of Dust Till Dawn or The Vic in London. Um, so it was mainly sort of 50 or £100 entry or rebuy tournaments. Um, I remember one where I, w I went along and I had so many chips in the first three or four hands. I think I'd tripled up, followed by a double up, followed by a triple up. And I had like a quarter of the chips in the tournament um, with... with after three or four hands and then I just went and sat by the bar for a couple of hours because the, there was no point in chipping with the blind levels there's no point in chipping up any further and when I went back to the tournament um yeah, I coasted into the final table but because I'd been sat at the bar for about three hours I could barely speak <laughs> and I, I think I got a little, a little bit of trouble for being nonsensical throughout the final table but still took the tournament down for I don't know I can't remember how much it was a few thousand pounds um, and a very big hangover the next day um, and things like that have always been fun and part of my life
but there's never a lot of money in it for the casinos. There's not a lot of money in poker for casinos because they just take the rake and, you know, rake on a 50-pound tournament, five or six or seven pounds if they're being outrageous. Well, that's not a lot of money that you're spending in the casino where they've got to cover, you know... A lot of these refurbishments that the casinos do to make them look nice are tens of millions or hundreds of millions. So what they're relying on is that you'll spend money at the bar, on food, um, at the tables. And a lot of people that turned up to poker tournaments didn't. They would sit down, pay their entrance fee, pay the rake, and not play any negative equity games, not spend money on in the bar or food or anything like that. And that means that they weren't the casinos weren't really making a lot of money after they've paid wages and things out of the rake. Um, so, whilst being quite nice places to be, and I always, as well, enjoy looking at what going to the watch the Super Bowl, for example, in casinos. They were very they were always very limited by two things: the fact that Quite simply, young people, even young middle-class people, they didn't feel really the need to go out and gamble their money, the same as happens in other countries. Part of it, I think, has been due to the uh, economy crash in 2008, where a lot of younger people simply didn't have expendable money at the end of every month. You know, if you're, if you're pulling in a salary and you don't have just an extra 200, 300, 400 pounds at the end of every month, fun money, then you're not going to go down to the casino and put 200, 300, 400 pounds on roulette or blackjack. Um, of course you're not. And there seems to have been a long time where the younger generation in our country have been living kind of paycheck to paycheck through no fault of their own, simply having, you know, been come through decades of... Um, economic growth and wealth all the way up to the early 2000s and then if you were a graduate in the early 2000s and you got a job and then you were hit by the 2008 financial crash which went on and just about by the time that that's recovering then were hit by covid nobody has the extra 25 30 percent of their salary sitting sitting around for fun money like they used to do in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and if you do you're probably more aligned to going and spending on a nice meal or saving for 27,000 years to, uh, in order to buy, uh, have the deposit for your first house. So there was that, it was always a thing where the younger generation weren't coming through into the casinos. There's a lot of um, strict licensing conditions imposed by the UK Gambling Commission and the UK government. Um, but also the way they were managed were very different to around the world. If you walk into a casino in Las Vegas, for example, you have sports books within the casino that are seriously impressive. I mean, massive, large screens, nice places to be. You go up to the counter and they'll say that any bet that you're going to have, there's a minimum bet amount. Imagine a, imagine a bookmaker in the UK saying that there's a minimum that you can bet. It's way more common that you'll find out that there's a maximum you can bet and that maximum is an incredibly low price. Now, of course, there isn't any arbitrage players or not as many arbitrage players over in America. And so it's not like for like, but just the culture of the going into the casino, seeing the sports book, the sports book all being leather seats and wooden panels and massive screen TVs. You sit down, a girl comes over and brings you some complimentary drinks. You go to the counter to place your bet and you've got a, a sort of minimum $50 bet and it, it's all very service industry pleasant. Now, superimpose the way that a lot of shop managers and a lot of shops look and behave in the UK where there, there's very little um, customer attention. I know you'll get a free coffee, but come on, it's literally, it's nothing like the casinos of Asia and America, you're not pampered to. And because we're not pampered to in the same way, um, then we're less likely to want to go in and spend our expendable money. And then finally, and I don't want to blame them for everything, but they're going to have to take some responsibility. You have a certain element of the woke 
generation who see social injustice in other people not doing what it is that they do. So if the woke generation don't gamble, um, presumably they don't gamble because they haven't, you know, they haven't come through a generation. The only gambling anyone seems to do is ACAs on their mobile phone. Nobody actually goes out with the same, we're going to gamble this evening for a night out. If you are, the dogs aren't exactly a glamorous destination to go to. And a lot of UK horse racing isn't either. Um, where So the, this idea of sort of dressing up for a night out to go and spend money down in the casinos is something that's a lot more common in the south of France and in America and in Asia and not particularly common in the UK and, and this woke generation saying well I haven't come through this and I don't do it and there is injustice in people losing their money because how can we be sure that they can afford to lose that money and all of a sudden these things come together and the UK casino industry just doesn't seem like it's it's been particularly healthy for a long time it's very reliant on the older generation from the Asian communities, the, the older ladies and the older gentlemen going along and keeping them keeping them going. So I think it's a shame, and I don't have any solutions for them. The Genting in Birmingham um, was quite a good casino. I enjoyed that going to that casino. So I think it's going to be a shame that there are going to be job losses and that some of these are going to close down. But as said, as the industry as a whole is costing the Treasury £5 million a week. I just want to sort of remind Genting that um, they won the Supreme Court bid uh, a couple of years ago, where Genting, they own Crockford's Club in London, where Phil Ivey decided that he was going to undertake in some um, Punto Banco edge sorting, um, and he won 7.7 million from Genting Casino uh, a few years ago, and they went to the Supreme Court and decided that they weren't going to pay him a penny, and they won that court case. So whilst um, they may be costing the Treasury as an industry, and this isn't just Genting, they might be costing the Treasury five million pounds a week it's still less than the sum of money that one casino decided it was unfairly going to withhold from one individual a few years ago in london what is um coming up guys look we're coming up to the end of the strangest football season we've probably ever seen in our entire lives um on Saturday, the 25th of July, the National League looks like it comes to a close. And on Sunday, the 26th of July, the day after, the Premier League has 10 games all kicking off at 4pm. And that can only mean one thing. That means that the season ends in the UK in the next um, nine days or so. Just have the Sunday at the end of July. Then August is going to be a little bit of a break. Um, the season was due to start on the 8th of August, but has now been delayed until the 12th of September. So we are going to get a little bit of a break from sort of the big football games throughout the month of August. We, we will still have a couple of games in August. Um, the cup finals are all due um, to start. You have this weird thing where the FA Cup final is going to be on the 1st of August, which is like usually the last day of the season in England. It's also the day when the Scottish Premier League is going to start. So we're going to have a little bit of Scottish football. Um, and the WTA tennis tour is due to come back a couple of days later on the 3rd of August. We have some pretty decent golf coming up, though. We've got the US PGA, which has been rescheduled at TPC Harding Park in um, San Francisco, 6th and 9th. And, of course, the Champions League. And the last 16 is going to kick off um, in August, and we're going to play through to a final for that and the Europa League. So, basically, like, um, August is essentially just going to be sort of one-off cup football games and the ATP Tennis Tour coming back. In, um, in the middle of the month. So uh, there, there is some sport on. It's going to be a little bit unusual and a little bit, um, you know, UFC here, boxing here. 
a bit of athletics there where perhaps we'll see somebody else run 185 meters and claim the 200 meters record like what happened recently complete farce hilarious if you haven't seen that video go to the bbc website have a search but um certainly august is going to be a time perhaps if yeah i know, I know we all we just had a very long break um but it feels like it's been extremely intense since the end of lockdown so we can perhaps quieten uh, the efforts for a bit of um family time during august focusing on september my daughter starts school on the 2nd of september for the first time ever and with that that's going to bring a lot of structure um, um for the start of the new football season and squeezing in quite a lot of the rest of the yearly sport like all of the rugby union into the months of september october november and december whatever it is that you are betting on this weekend do make sure it's value this is tom signing out did the earth move fire did the earth move fire did the earth move fire